Welcome to the Trend Detection Podcast, powered by Sensai, an industry leader in using AI to drive scalable and sustainable asset performance and reliability. In this special episode, we invited a panel of experts from Microsoft, Axora, and Sensai to discuss how mining companies are driving digital transformation at scale. I hope you enjoy it. Right, so hello and welcome to the Trend Detection Podcast, sponsored by Sensai. Uh, today, uh, we've got a really exciting topic. We're actually focused on the mining industry, talking about how um, how it's driving digital transformation at scale. Uh, Sensai recently did a report around this topic a couple of months ago, using sort of industry insights and lots of got lots of great stats in there. So I definitely recommend downloading. But what? Well, we've got a great panel today, and um, sort of, sort of expand on this topic, and they've got a lot of expertise in that area. So. Let me first of all introduce, or let the panelists introduce themselves, um, where they're from and their background. Then we'll get straight into the sort of the questions. So, um, Joe, do you want to start us off, Joe Carr? Yeah, sure. Hi, my name is Joe Carr. I'm the Industry Innovation Director for Exora. And for your audience, Exora is a company that helps find, source, and implement new digital technologies and existing technologies into mining and metals companies. Right. Joseph. Good day. I'm Joe Starwood. I serve as director of industry digital strategy here at Microsoft for the mining industry. And uh, we work with our mining clients and partners to help them achieve uh, better business outcomes, operate more safely and with greater health, and to achieve sustainability. And I'm Alexander Hill, one of the co-founders of Sensei. And I am responsible for our global business development. So helping clients, including our mining metals clients, achieve sustainability whilst reducing costs all through that focus on asset intelligence. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, to, to get us started, I think it'd be great to um, to define, first of all, what is digital transformation and actually um, just some points around how, how it actually impacts mining in particular. So if we start with, with Joe first, it would be great to get your your point of view on this yeah i mean for for me digital transformation is it's fairly straightforward right in terms of the concept and it's it's taking existing operations and existing ways of doing things and finding methods of utilizing existing technology or, or new technology to make them more productive for instance using a good example is using ai to do maintenance scheduling, whereas before it would have been done by a person and probably with an Excel spreadsheet, it could be done with an AI system and somebody checking that and and issuing out work orders, meaning that people have to spend less time developing things and more time actually getting out and about and doing the jobs and really tackling the complicated things. And and Joseph, what, what are your thoughts on that from Microsoft perspective? Certainly, so I, I think I'd like to add that Digital transformation really enables miners to leverage data and insights to make much better decisions. So, so building on what Joe said, you know, if you have the insights about the health and status of your equipment, you can make not only better uh, maintenance decisions, but those decisions actually drive other important outcomes like profitability, productivity, uh, safety, even uh, environmental uh, sustainability if we operate more efficiently and cleaner. I think to extend those points, 
on digital transformation, we see it as infusing every area of the business and breaking down those silos, bringing information together so that you can achieve this more autonomous and automated business and humans are not not doing quite mandrolic work and by that i mean they're not taking one bit of data and pushing it to some other system that can be all done automatically there's certain things that can be done completely automatically so digital transformation is about removing the mundane work and allowing humans to focus on the more creative interesting work and so and so what are the challenges of achieving digital transformation in in mining who wants to get started on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I can, I can start coming from the coming from actually being a miner, and you know, having having spent my time actually working on a mine. For me, I think the greatest challenge doesn't come from the technology. I think the greatest challenge comes from the implementation and the understanding of the site actually about the technology because when you work on a mine and and you know many of the people listening to this will work on them but i'm sure there'll be many people who who don't work on mines and within mining operations um you know there doesn't tend to be a vast amount of bandwidth personally available to to you know source innovation right people are very much focused on whatever it is that their job is right be that production be that getting tonnage through the mill you, you know be that safety or whatever and when you bring in a new shiny product and say hey guys look at this but by the way you know it might fundamentally change the way you do business or fundamentally change the way you personally do your job a lot of people kind of say look i don't have time for that right i've got a job to do and and they're not necessarily interested so for me i think there's definitely an issue around skills in the fact that there is is a skill shortage there's also an issue around the education most of the people are you know they're minors right they are not ai and neural learning and, and processing kind of people in in that sense they're not they're not there to work behind computers in that sense you know they're, they're building and designing and running operations so i i think those are two of the largest challenges in the fact that you might have the greatest technology in the world right but if you can't get anyone interested and engaged and wanting to use it, then you will still struggle um, to get get things moving on a mine. And Alex, we certainly had those challenges at Sensei. Would you agree? Getting people engaged. Yeah, I think fundamentally people don't like change. And I really like Joe's point that people have a job to do and there's resistance immediately when you come in saying, oh, there's this fancy new thing people are going to say, well, I'm doing my job effectively right now. Who cares? So what? Why are you trying to make my life harder? And, and you've got to spend a lot of time trying to trying to show them that actually we, we don't want to make your life harder. We want to make your life easier. And there's a distrust around that. Mining has a very rich history and heritage. It's, quite a, it's, it's a very old industry. Uh, so they have certain ways of doing things and then certain established procedures. And to introduce something new does take time and, and what's your experience of that joseph from from a microsoft perspective and talking to your customers we have opportunity to see digital transformation across not only many different mining organizations but across industries and and to build on what joe said i think there's perhaps three areas that really stand out number one is good successful digital transformation starts at the top 
uh, it is at the top of the executive uh, leadership change and there has to be a clear vision uh, and there has to be sustained commitment from the executive team. Um, that executive team also needs to build a team within the organization and perhaps with partners as well in order to accomplish the digital transformation. It's, it's something the executive team can't do by itself. And then I think the other thing that Joe points out about the, the personnel and their time is the executive team needs to enable team members to have the time and commit the time to being part of digital transformation. There's a culture change that goes on. But if you think about digital transformation, what we're really trying to do is empower people with data and with insights so they make better decisions and have better outcomes. And the people who do the job are very often the ones who know that job the best and can really provide the kind of insight to detail out the, the vision that the executive team has and to get it implemented. Now, I, I, just say, I, I would like to jump in on that and be, yeah, be, be slightly contrarian as to Joseph's point. In I get that some digital transformation has to begin at the top. Like you, you look at autonomous vehicles, right? That's a, that's a multi-billion dollar investment. You, you can't just sort of do it at a site level. But I think actually a lot of digital transformation is better done at the site level than the corporate level, especially when you look at say a mining company that has I don't know, like a multinational major, right? That maybe has 10, 15 operations. Those operations, if you were to split them out of that company and put them on the stock exchange, they would be multi-billion dollar companies in themselves, right? They, they have vast P&Ls, they have a lot of staff, they, they have all this kind of thing. And I think in mines, a lot of the time, projects fail because they come top down. And when they reach the mine site, they die. Like the mine site can easily kill a project if it wants to, because it could just, you know, it could just not implement it, right? I, I think actually a lot of the technologies around maintenance and safety and operational performance and, you know, where are we going to mine when and how are we going to mine the blocks and how are we tracking our ore through the flow? I think a lot of that can all be done at a site level and can be very effective. I, the problem you get is when you move up, as you said, one step into corporate and corporate wants visibility of all of that and they want to see what's happening on every single site. And then you get into the problem of silos and, and you know, how do you then tackle that? And that's a whole bigger like onion to try and peel. But, but actually on the site level, I think you can do a lot of innovation with staff there without corporate. And I think when you get corporate involved, that's when a lot of people on site, you know, because of these existing silos can be like, oh, no, it's another one of these kind of projects. Right. And they'll do it and they'll get it done. And then it'll just be quietly parked away and nobody will do anything else with it. And, and that's the risk you run. As you said, if you don't get the buy in, um, you know, things can easily just be parked and never, never looked at again. I, we see that a, a lot. And I think the problem with digital acceleration in itself is it's it's fairly loosely bounded and there's no clear owner often. You're starting to see senior positions have an ownership of digital acceleration. But the problem with all of these solutions, as, as you both said, is, is that you have these users who might eventually get excited. Okay, you're going to help me. This is fantastic, really good. But they don't have the power to implement something uh, enterprise-wide. And often these solutions are more enterprise-wide. So you've got the C-levels and, and the managers and senior, senior VPs who are excited about something but have trouble convincing the, the actual people on the operational side. And then you have this relationship between operations and IT and who owns this kind of stuff. 
traditionally it's been operational technology are going to own the stuff that's actually used on the you know on, on the face of things and and they'll do the wiring they'll do the connection they'll they'll own that data then it they might be the guys who apply some patches and do some networking and allow those sites to communicate and now you're seeing it get more and more involved deeper down and ot uh be subsumed into that and, and that you've got a difficulty managing these different relationships, different requirements, different desires. And it's, this is, this is not a simple area where we're selling something like a firewall application where it's very well known who owns that, why, and how that's going to work. When you're talking about digital transformation and selling solutions that are about sustainability and things, it's much more difficult to understand who's going to own that, how, and what, what are the drivers behind that? And I think everyone's still figuring that out. Yeah, I, I did a project in my previous company and we were working with one of the like, you know, the majors, like the big majors, and it was all around tailings monitoring and facilities. And we took, before we did anything, we, we had agreement by the client, you know, what they wanted to do. We spent nine months in procurement with IT, working out where's this gonna be hosted and who's gonna be responsible for the infrastructure and what's this sensor and who does it talk to and where does it connect and how does this work? And if it goes into the cloud, you know, where's the cloud hosted and what's happening with our data and the security implications. So I, I, I think Alex, you're very right there in terms of like the word digital goes into a mine, right? I used to just buy, used to buy software, right? Okay, I buy a license to a piece of software and I use it. Now it's cloud software. And suddenly the miners, you know, they get a bit twitchy. So where's my data going? You know, and, this, and a lot of this data is business critical, right? And the mine data, what's the amount of metal in the ground and the process plant, how much metal is going through it? And you know, what's the grade of that metal and where's it going? That's, that's literally your entire business value exposed. Um, so I, I think, yeah, you, you very much, you know, got the nail on the head there when you say, digital transformation adds a layer of complexity that doesn't necessarily exist in a physical solution um which is much easier because you know the owner and it's about the whole business it's not just we're going to buy some it or we're going to buy some fax machines it's it affects every layer of the business like you said and this data now becomes core to making those business decisions and operating that business continuously so it, it touches everyone and everyone wants to own it and no one wants to own it and if just to pick up on a point you mentioned there, so uh, talk about silos. So there's silos within an individual mine, but within a, a company, there's obviously lots of different mines. How do you sort of create sort of joined up strategy across the different mines? I guess from IT, OT, all different levels, because that must be challenging. So does each or does each mine operate separately generally in terms of how they, you know, the software they use and, and that side of things? We not only work with many mining clients who have multiple sites, uh, even work across multiple commodities and geographies, but some of our mining clients are actually in multiple industries. They they may also do semiconductors uh, and uh, oil and gas and power utilities. And we have to work at multiple levels, and we've done this frequently, you know, developing a roadmap and a plan for digital transformation at the enterprise level across uh, industries, across geographies, across commodities and sites, but then also working within the different business units, whether it's at the industry level, uh, the commodity level or the site level, um, so that it's all unified and that it all works together. 
And right now we're seeing a lot of motion within the mining industry to reduce the amount of legacy software and software diversity and technology diversity across the mines because again it uh, causes a great deal of, of cost burden you not only have lots of licensing and maintenance to do but uh, you have to struggle with incompatibilities uh, lack of apis or uh, standard data formats and so forth and it just adds to the cost and complexity of the operation so we're seeing a move uh, towards streamlining in the IT uh, side. Yeah, and as we sort of talk about, I mean, we haven't mentioned Industry 4.0 yet. So, um, as an industry, uh, is that sort of technology being embraced? And are, are there any sort of barriers that are holding minds back from sort of embracing this sort of technology? I see Industry 4.0 as a component of digital acceleration. And Digital acceleration, often in the projects we've seen, this is not just a mining, encompasses things like predictive maintenance, uh, quality prediction, AR, VR, and, and the, the things that we'd consider industry 4.0 on the shop floor would be the asset intelligence, machine health monitoring, and prediction. And then it gets bundled into a digital acceleration department that then says, okay, now we're going to get some iPads and we're going to combine all these things and we're going to get some uh, AR glasses and we're going to put these technologies together. We would very much agree with Alex here in that observation. Uh, probably for the last three or three and a half years, the mining clients we work with have been super interested in Industry 4.0. They really talk about the mine of the future or the uh, digital mine or the intelligence-driven mine. These are the, the common terms we hear. And they are doing a great deal of work around asset health, asset performance, and, and maintenance. And much of that can really enhance safety when you start thinking about how could uh, connected field service uh, allow a technician in the field to be supported digitally by some expert who is remote and we're not having that expert travel or get into the proximity of, of dangerous equipment or processes or the same goes for say remote inspections all these things really help to reduce the uh, safety exposure time of the workers and really increases the safety. So it's a big important area for our mining clients. And I just wanted to go back to a previous point as well around um, cloud technology because um, I think Joe um, talked about the security concerns around that still um, maybe from his experience what what he's seen there's still a reluctance because of that but are there are there other reasons for for reluctance to sort of embrace it or is that what you're seeing um and is there a way to overcome these these objections especially around security joseph do you want to come in first sure so so a couple of thoughts there with regard to you know barriers to digital transformation i I think this thing that we see commonly, and it even applies to sustainability, is that once you get to some of the smaller mining operations, uh, smaller mining companies, they don't always have access to the quantity and level of skills necessary. So it, it's a real challenge for them to mount a digital transformation or, a, or an energy transition. Um, on the security side, We've really seen our clients embracing 
uh, zero trust frameworks and using that as a means to enhance the security of their operations uh, as they move into a, a unified IT and OT world. And do we, um, as a Sensei perspective, Alex, do we come across, maybe not just in mining, but other industries, come across reluctance to embrace cloud? Was it generally accepted? So I'd say a few years ago, absolutely. We were having to spend a lot of time doing whiteboarding sessions and convincing people that this, this scary cloud thing isn't such a problem, and here's why. And we're having to do that less and less now. We did have a lot of instances where we were actually previously when we started, we weren't based on Microsoft Azure, and we are now. And one of the reasons behind that was if we said we were on anything other than Azure, people would say, oh, I'm not sure about that. I've got all these issues with cloud and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, but Microsoft actually did a really good job of and has a relationship with the IT departments where if you say you're based on Microsoft Azure, great, you get a free pass. Uh, so that that's immediately helped things a tremendous amount. There's been a lot of investment in convincing people broadly that cloud is okay and and that it's it's not a threat to their business. I think mining companies in particular often want to say, oh, we need this data on site uh, or it's really difficult to send it to the cloud. And actually there are ways around that from a technology point of view and it doesn't necessarily need to be on site, but there's still some of this old school view that you need to work with and you need to convince people on. But certainly, uh, Newer standards like Azure 27001 and, and so on that, that have uh, that have incorporated these security mechanisms around just good practice and the fact that you can achieve those all whilst using the cloud, I think has helped quite a lot. And so we're seeing that resistance come down a huge amount. We've certainly lost sales in the past because we, we are cloud only, but we see that happening less and less. And in terms, I wanted to sort of move away when we talked about about digital transformation, which it, which is a great thing and it is talked about a lot, but the the end result, I guess, should be, um, well, it must be increased productivity on the other side, especially in mining. It's so important. So, how does digital transformation overall affect or benefit, sorry, uh, mining productivity itself? Um, Joseph, if you wanted to start us off. Well, there are several different ways that digital transformation can help uh, mining productivity. And much of it goes to making the kinds of decisions in a timely basis so that you get the optimal outcome. So, you know, if we think about uh, availability of equipment and its utilization so that we can actually have the operation producing, you know, if we can use digital technology to enable a maintenance technician to diagnose a problem at the point of activity at, at the at the piece of equipment or the process and have the right uh, information and the right tools and consumables and parts with them uh, to affect that uh, repair quickly you know we get production back up we get uh, profitability back online uh, much more quickly uh, so we're taking a lot of time out as compared to having the technician go half an hour back to a, a shop and rummage through uh, volumes of maintenance manuals and, and parts forms and so forth. It's a big difference to be able to do things at the point of activity. And Joe, Joe I know we've talked about this before in a previous podcast as well. It'd be great to get your, your view on this as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'd, I'd actually like to step back one 
one question and talk about you know what's web 4.0 i think if you go to a mine site a lot of people will just kind of give you a blank stare if you talk about web web 4.0 and especially people within production plants and things like that so i think actually step one of all this kind of thing is is getting a greater industry understanding because I think a lot of a lot of people, you know, I'm just as guilty. We all sit around and we talk about it, and there's this sort of assumption that actually people know. And I, I think actually a lot of people still still sort of look at it and say, "Look, what do you mean?" They probably don't know what Web 3.0 means, right? And people come along with Web 4.0 and they talk about IIoT and in clouds and all this kind of thing. But I, I I think miners kind of want to boil down to sort of a simpler thing and just say, you know, what's the benefit? Tell me what the benefit of this system is. A lot of them don't really care. You know, I don't care how my phone works. I don't care about the fundamental insides, the gubbins of how it works. Right? I don't care about how my email really works. People want to understand that it does work and they want to understand what the benefits are and they want to have the the risk that they see with things like like clouds and iot and, and these other areas they want to see that those risks are minimized and, and we do talk a lot about minimizing those risks but i also think it's a matter of time before we see some processing plant somewhere get ransomware you know or, or or a mine with autonomous trucks and all the trucks just stop you know and everyone goes all the mines you know everything's not running now and it's because of some vulnerability. And, and so I absolutely believe that those concerns are warranted and that as you know, a technology industry, we really need to kind of up our game to prove that we, you know, we have the solutions. But it also speaks to why proven, you know, almost vetted solutions are much better than the traditional mining way of doing things, which is, oh, we can sort of develop this ourselves, you know, and, and people do develop it themselves. And then the people who developed it go off and they get other jobs or they go and work on other projects and there's no frontline support and there's no, so the things don't get upgraded. And, and I think those represent sort of the ways in and where mining hasn't had to deal with this is because everything has been so site-based in the past that, you know, the mine was its own little castle and its own little silo and it wasn't connected to anything else and it did everything internally. And, you know, people could just get in the truck and drive it and there wasn't the issue. Right. And, and as we start to peel back those pieces, yes, we'll have a far more productive mine. You know, people, autonomous vehicles don't stop to eat lunch. Right. They don't stop to go to the toilet. They don't stop because it's Christmas. As, as an example, we also begin to create the pinholes of vulnerability where the water can start to get in, right? Where we can have those entries. And I think that's what the industry as a whole understands. They get where it's going, but how we get there and address those issues that I think nobody can say it's not gonna happen. We know it's gonna happen. So how do we, you know, be as good as we can be to stop it happening and and there's a you know that's that's kind of my high level thoughts on it because it will happen and it's far more likely to happen if the industry continues the way it has which is just bodging along 
and creating its own kind of fixes and not centralizing around things. But if we do centralize around things, we miss the chance of innovation. And then this is kind of, you know, the mining industry's always fundamental risk. We get so big that we only want trusted solutions, but by only having trusted huge solutions, we we miss all the, you know, the benefit of the lean, agile, new stuff coming through. And uh, I mean, I'll put it out to the whole panel, but are there um, sort of examples of successful digital transformation? Like, are there mining, examples of mining companies you could mention that are leading the way on the, on this side of things? Yeah, I mean, from, from, from my side, there's a few, right? I mean, every I, I don't need to talk about autonomous vehicles and what's happened in the Pilbara. There's, there's a lot gone on there and it's been a huge success story, right? That they've taken their cost per tonnage down, um, you know, to like $13, $15 a tonne for, for a product that used to be like $30 a tonne to mine. So you, you've got those kind of benefits and they are, you know, they're the big companies, but I think when you go sort of down to the smaller companies, you, you look at what's being done in Mali with the autonomous mine that's being built there. Um, which is which is really an incredible operation you look at the guys um from dundee with what they've been doing in um in europe on their autonomous operations i and you know having connected workers i think i think yeah a lot has been done there's a lot of success stories um in that but you also see a lot of people kind of point to it and say yeah so what you know that there's there's no there's not a massive driver for the industry, right? The industry drivers are twofold. It's how much can I sell my product for and how much can I, how much can I cost to produce it? And so I, I do think we will see the transformation there and I do think we will see success, but it's gonna take time. And there's, there's a lot of resistance to it unless it's done by, you know, a big OEM um, in realistic sense, right? Unless somebody who's really big and trusted comes in the door a lot of miners are suspicious. Yeah, and it, ultimately these things have to make people's lives easier. Uh, a good example for us is, is Alcoa uh, using using our technology to reduce downtime by twenty percent. So you're making people's lives easier. You're you're saying, okay, we can reduce the amount of time that you're spending fixing things that don't need it, uh, fixing problems that probably shouldn't have appeared. Hopefully. And you're saving money on your inventory. You're saving your resources. And you're saving labor. That's that's a massive one, actually. You're saving people going out and inspecting something or fixing something when they don't need to do it. And that's a, that's a perfect example of digital transformation where without this integrated digital technology of taking data from a certain place, processing it in the cloud, putting it, delivering it to someone's phone or laptop, uh, and they're not at site, that's great. Because you can say, hey, I don't need to pay attention to these things. Uh, I don't need to go on site, don't need to inspect these things. You've made my life easier. And particularly with skill shortages, labor shortages, you can do more with less. And, and the easier you make people's lives, the better. And, and I, I think it, a lot of companies miss that because we're all excited about technology. Fundamentally, you know, we're, we're thinking, this is great. I can do these, these fun, nerdy things, which, which make us happy, but there's often a difficulty translating that into the, I mean, why does the miner care about that? Why does the person working in a, in a processing facility care about that? And that, that's a 
as a communication issue a lot of the time, I think. And Joseph, do you have examples that you can provide of sort of successful digital transformation in mining? Uh, certainly. And I think that we have to allow ourselves to see digital transformation as per potentially simpler than we sometimes perceive it to be. Sometimes it, it seems overwhelming and daunting. I think one of the more successful and simpler solutions was done by Alcoa, you know, back in 2019, uh, 2018. Uh, they implemented teams at their Icelandic facility, and the, the purpose initially was to, you know, improve uh, scheduling of the shifts, improve uh, collaboration among the team members on the shift, make tr shift transitions much more seamless and effective, and keep the operations flowing smoothly and efficiently. And the, the solution was simple, uh, it was effective, and so much so that Satya featured at main stage at one of our events in early 2019. However, shortly after that, COVID came along and that very same solution enabled Alcoa to shift to uh, cohorts, to change the shift durations and to enable remote work and to still keep operations flowing uh, smoothly and safely. So it was a relatively simple solution that ended up having two uh, particular benefits to it. Uh, it was a really good solution. Um, I think that one particularly stands out. I think that's a cool story as well with teams. I mean, you have a conversation around something and, and with Sentai now supporting a native integrations teams, you can extend that conversation. So you're not just, hey, having a chat and a text chat with somebody about some documents, you're looking at actually, uh, this is what's happening on a machine uh, and you're not having to dive into a different application for that. It's all accessible within an interface that you're used to using. Everyone can access, they don't need any training for it. And you're able to make decisions much more quickly and much better. Alex, I really love what you pointed out there because it has huge operational and safety implications. You know, some maintenance events have to span a shift boundary. And the, the more seamless you make that work and the more seamless you make the handoff between the shift boundaries, the, the better able you are to complete the work on time and in a safe manner, but also to make sure, in fact, that it does get completed. Uh, you know, we have seen over the years uh, incidents where equipment was believed to have been maintained and completed properly by one shift and the next shift starts up the operation and the equipment is not in the state that it needs to be in and it it results in disastrous uh, consequences there is a an excellent story about an offshore rig in the north sea that uh, underwent a major fire because of uh, uh, such a situation at shift handover so uh, this is really important when we think about uh, predictive maintenance and how we then implement that maintenance and that's actually such a useful link um, to what one of the questions I had. So, um, talk of predictive maintenance is how sort of prevent, um, yeah, how um, trying to get the, the term, how prevalent that's the word I was looking for is predictive maintenance in in mining um, from your from your experiences. Um, maybe Joe, you could start us off. Yeah, I mean, pre pre predictive maintenance is quite prevalent. Um, it's definitely. It's definitely sort of a standard, right? You get a lot of 
a lot of the guys say they want predictive planned to be the bulk of their maintenance and then they, they have a small amount of reactive you know ideally everyone's going to say they want like 90 10 or something um what they're actually achieving is probably significantly less they're probably achieving more like 60 40 and and even then significant amount of that is going to be just straight planned it's not going to be predictive preventative it's going to be we change this every two weeks why do we change it every two weeks because it could fail so we're going to change it and if there's still another week of life on it or, or something well that's fine you know and, and that's the way a lot of the industry works is you know there is less intelligence down to why we do it other than we set something that we know so you know there is a limit on when we change this part we only leave it in so long and and then we swap it out it's like a great example is trucks right that you do your engine service at so many thousand hours whatever it might be you do like 500 a thousand two thousand five thousand hours and and at each one of those services you swap out these parts and you don't do it based on what level the part tends to be it's like we change the air filters we change the air filters every time it comes in for a service why because that's what we do and that's what the thing tells us we need to do um so i think there's ample amounts of headroom for mining companies to save a vast amount in spare parts and productivity in terms of not having to take assets down through predictive maintenance right understanding that all of these haul trucks are supposed to come in at 500 hours but actually that one's fine till 700 and this one needs to come in at 400 that's where the real benefits are going to come because at the moment we we still do a lot and you know this is speaking incredibly broadly right for the for the whole industry here so someone will tell me how dare you say that you know our mindset we do everything based on some sort of cloud model because caterpillar's given us the best thing since sliced bread but you know speaking across industry in general we tend to do planned and then reactive and, and that's the basis of maintenance and joseph did you have anything to add to that Yes, yes. What we're seeing is that uh, many of our miners have indeed uh, applied uh, predictive and preemptive maintenance. Uh, however, they've done it in certain uh, particular components or processes, uh, different pieces of equipment. I saw a study uh, early last calendar year that indicated that perhaps about 40% of mining operations have actually been uh, have actually received predictive uh, maintenance uh, attention in terms of artificial intelligence and data, uh, leaving about 60%, you know, that's still out there. So there's plenty of opportunity even within organizations that have started their predictive maintenance journey. I think another interesting tell is to understand what a particular site considers uh, predictive maintenance. We worked with one site where the client indicated that in fact they had predictive maintenance when we got to the shop floor what we saw was a gentleman uh, took some numbers on a piece of paper took out a pencil did some calculations and based on that made a prediction of whether maintenance should or shouldn't be done um, that's not quite the level of predictive maintenance that we we are expecting here and uh, certainly artificial intelligence beats it by a long shot that's a really good point and, and one reason 
Yeah, we're trying to almost, we talk about predictive maintenance, but we're trying to shift the term along slightly to talk about asset intelligence as well, because Joe's exactly right. Predictive maintenance means different things to different people. And to an old school maintenance practitioner, predictive maintenance means just that, that they're you know, looking at some things, they maybe have some calculations on piece of paper, or they're just using their knowledge and expertise, and they're predicting, okay, this thing's going to fail. Uh, there's an entire methodology around that called predictive maintenance. It has nothing to do with AI. So the, there's, there's, a, there's a disconnect that we're trying to address. And predictive maintenance to technology companies means, means something very, very different. Uh, I think our definition is loosely, it's the use of AI around condition monitoring data to enable a, a predictive uh, intervention. And I say that because it's not necessarily predicting machine failure, it's predicting when you actually need to go and do something about it. And, and there's, there's a lot of nuance there in, in the term. I think companies, especially mining metals companies, they are more ready than many other organizations because they have quite a rich history of online condition monitoring and appreciation for this and lots of remote assets that they needed to monitor already. So they're actually quite well set up, at least compared to other industries, to benefit from AI on top of the data that they're often already collecting. Actually, I wanted to touch on that point. Yeah, because Alex is right that we're sort of looking at asset intelligence as a um, wider um, theme. Um, rather than predictive maintenance. And I was wondering whether, to Joe and Joseph, whether that's being seen in the industry, that asset intelligence, that, that term, or at least the, the thinking behind it is is becoming more, uh, being viewed in that way within mining, I guess. Well, I'd be happy to jump in there. We're certainly seeing asset intelligence as an important factor, not only from a productivity and profitability and safety standpoint in the mine with respect to predictive maintenance and the maintenance function. But to Alex's points, um, we're really seeing a different understanding about uh, maintenance. Uh, the product of a maintenance organization at a mine is not uh, maintenance, uh, it's availability. That's what uh, a maintenance organization needs to be able to provide. And once the, the mine has availability, it can utilize that equipment or those processes to be productive and to be profitable, to be safer and sustainable. Um, and we're seeing that kind of a shift in thinking and I think it does tie closely with the idea of asset health and asset performance. And Joe, did you, did you want to add to that in any way from your point of view? No, I, I, I think Joseph's you know, entirely right, right? Inva availability is the key. Right. Utilization is important, but that's nothing to do with maintenance. Utilization is for people like me and, you, you know, the, the mining engineers or the plant operators to take advantage of. Right. The, the, the engineers and, and the operators love it when it's not available because it's someone else to blame for the problem. Right. It's, if it's available all the time, then it needs to be used. It needs to be used very effectively. And, and that's a whole nother challenge. Of, of you know how you utilize things well but yeah ultimately you know if you can take your availability today from most people are after something like an 80 88 percent or 87 percent availability the, the more you can creep that up 
the you know, it has such a massive effect on your on your business if you can get to something like 90% um, because that's the difference between having 10 trucks and two down and nine trucks you know and one down right in terms of you need an entire less asset to run and you don't need everything associated with that and, and it, it comes down to that how do you run a mine as efficiently as you possibly can and in the scenarios we're in today with cost pressure going up you know we have a skill shortage people are picky about where they want to work you have input costs increasing fuel is astronomically high um, and other inputs and then we have huge deflationary pressures you know you look at commodity prices copper has gone from ten thousand dollars a ton two months ago to eight thousand dollars a ton you know it's dropped twenty percent in in a market where the input costs have gone up by fifty percent in the same time period um, so you know mining is really having a challenge today about how it runs as efficiently as it can at this point i realized that um so i mentioned our report at the beginning of the um, beginning of this interview and it's all around connecting asset data at scale we haven't really talked about it's been mentioned a few times but we're not specifically talked about is data and how important data is actually to achieving successful digital transformation um so i don't know if, if someone wanted to start us off on that topic maybe joseph if, you, if you've got some thoughts on that. Yes, happy to do that. We're really seeing data as being central to the future of mining. In fact, data, some of our mining clients will tell us, is the new gold. And if we think about it from the constraints that mining faces, and Joe has mentioned some of these in terms of cost uh, and uh, commodity prices, but when we start to consider that there's this huge shift towards green minerals and metals, uh, at the same time that uh, new ore discoveries are getting smaller and fewer and farther between and our ore reserves are being depleted. And at the same time, we need to provide for safety and health. We have to address emissions, water, waste. We have to protect ecosystems. We have to sustain our social and physical licenses to operate. These constraints across the entire value chain of a mine are far more complicated than any human, uh, even with a calculator or a spreadsheet, could possibly uh, optimize. And to optimize in, in uh, sufficient time, in near real time, really requires having uh, that data there to be analyzed and having quick insights and taking action on those insights. But part and parcel with that is to also have the security for it. Um, the more that we have this kind of data available uh, to the operations, uh, the greater uh, the potential damage could be uh, if that data is not properly protected. So uh, we're seeing our clients really emphasizing right now a lot of uh, improvements in their security posture as well as in their uh, data platform, thinking in terms of a systems of intelligence layer. I wanna emphasize the right data. And there's this whole data is the new gold thing is, is, I think, quite well taken up and people get very excited about that. And often people want to say, well, how many simpsons can I install or, you know, how, how many terabytes of data can I store per day? And there's one side on this one machine. And I can't tell you how many times we've talked with customers and they've said, oh, we've got loads of data. And we've been quite excited about that. We take a look and it's useless. And it's because it's not captured in the right way or looking at the right things or 
just is irrelevant noise data. And that, that could be because it's improperly configured or it's just status warnings and things like that. And it's unfortunately not useful at all. So a lot of education is needed around what the right kind of data is and what you're trying to achieve with it. And as we come from this condition monitoring background, people expect us to say, oh, it's going to be loads of data. So when we talk about bringing in 3,000 machines at a site, people, uh, people start to panic, worry, oh, isn't that going to congest our network and how much data is that? And, and they're shocked when we say, well, if you do it in the right way, it's, this is a few hundred kilobytes per day. This is, this is not big data. You've got to be smart about this. And, and, and that, yeah, we, we just spend a lot of time doing that. Uh, and, and it's quite a frustration still. And we're spending a lot of time now getting our partners up to speed on what is good data, what is appropriate small data. And don't just go for the big data and storing loads of stuff because you can and because you bought a server somewhere or because you got a load of good cloud storage somewhere. You don't need to do that. Have a, have a think about what you're actually trying to achieve, what's important. And there is the argument, of course, that you don't necessarily know what you're trying to achieve with this. So try to store everything. But again, try to be somewhat smart about it and, and try to have a plan for, okay, what's my one, five, and 10 year objectives? Do I really need to be storing gigabytes of data per day on this machine? Or can I tell the same thing by looking at uh, that value every hour or every two hours, for example? Are you trying to achieve long-term predictions or are you trying to achieve something that is uh, needing an immediate response? For example, if you're looking at a drive unit on a conveyor and, and you want something to stop immediately when there's an overcurrent condition, then keep that on the edge. You don't need to send that to the cloud. You don't want that going to the cloud. So there, there needs to be some, some thoughtful architecture around this. And Joe, um, what's your experience or data collection side from your experience in the mines? Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely echo what the, you know, Joseph and Alex said, right, that it is a bit of a wild west. And I've been to very big mines for very big majors and seen an absolute just like mess of data coming off all kinds of things so that there's a lot of it and it is unstructured as people said and it's it's in a format that can't be used or or, or or whatever right and the amount of data that comes off some of this equipment is incredible like I remember one of the guys from tech once told me that each haul truck was producing two gigabytes of data a day and on that that particular mine there was like 60 you know, and it was, what are you what are you doing with all this data? And he's like, nothing at the moment, but we we you know we're going to do something with it. And and that was like five six years ago that you know that that conversation was had. So there is a, a lot of information coming off all of the equipment now. Whether it's used or not is another question. And I think definitely within the the, the mining industry, there is certainly a a strong use case for edge devices in terms of, of you know pre filtering a lot of this data and saying actually what is useful and reporting the useful stuff because a good edge device can remove like 99% of data right and, and really bring it down to like the crux of you know what is critical for my operation what is critical for my machine you know why are you reporting i think as alex said right why are you reporting every five seconds engine temperature is good 
you know, engine temperature is fine, engine temperature is within range. Realistically, you know, the maintenance people don't care if all the parameters are within acceptable ranges, right? They care about the trends or they care about the alarms or the warnings. Um, and, and so I think there's definitely, yes, there's a lot of data, but also most of that data is of little benefit to people. And so, you know, we need to get smarter in what we're doing. And I remember having a conversation with one of the, it's one of the big iron ore producers. And they said, we need some more network capacity because the network is full. They said, literally it's full. We cannot put anything else on our 4G LTE site network because if we put another, you know, we put another pump in there, it's not going to work and everything's going to fall down. And, and they were building an, a brand new secondary network to put more equipment on because it was so full of information um, that, that they, they were maxed out. They'd used the whole spectrum and they needed more. So really, it's more of a focus on quality. The, the quantity is there, the actual collection of data, but it's actually, I like what the term you used, Joe, actually, is being smarter with... Um, smarter with data collection yeah um i just wanted to sorry yeah just collect as much data as as possible rather than thinking about the other side and how it's actually going to be used i guess <laughs> we'll just collect it just in case and we'll worry about it later <laughs> You know, being uh, Microsoft, we get to see some interesting cases. We have some uh, mining clients that they tell us uh, as part of their digital transformation, they want to start with the data that they're already getting. And our response is the data you're using today will likely not be the data that creates your intelligence driven mind of the future. Then we get other clients that say, we'll start our digital transformation with the data that's easy to collect. And it's like, no, it, you might be easy to collect, but does it actually have any relationship to the problem you're trying to solve? And then as you pointed out, Joe, we're collecting all this data in case we need it. And all that does is just add cost and confusion. It's really about value. You know, what data do you need to achieve your business outcomes and operate a valuable mine? Absolutely, the outcomes. We talk a lot about outcomes as well at Sensor. So um, I see we're coming to the end. I just wanted to, just before we finish, is to ask the panelists individually, just for some final thoughts, you know, summary, sort of a minute um, about sort of digital transformation mining and maybe where it's going, heading in the future. So if we start with Joe, um, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. So I, I think it's, it's only accelerating with the current pressures we have, but that you know, the mining industry will continue in, in my personal opinion to struggle because we, if, if nothing else, we continue to have a skills gap within the mining industry. We struggle to find, you know, mining engineers and geologists, let alone mining engineers and geologists who also understand digital transformation and technology. So yeah, we will get there. 
the mining industry can be a very slow moving beast and, and I guess you know my job and everyone around this podcast job is to try and get that beast moving a little bit faster down the hill. Certainly. So Joe mentioned some of the big challenges facing mining and I mentioned some of the complex constraints earlier. One of the things we're seeing as a significant trend with our mining clients and partners around the world is a move to the idea of open mining ecosystems and platforms. And, and that's just an industry specific manifestation of a broader thing that we're seeing across all industries, which is the idea of open industry ecosystems and platforms, you know, something that IDC recently uh, published insights on. But all these complexities and the enormity of it uh, may seem daunting, but I would like to share a bit of a message of hope. And that is that if we really look at our past as an industry, we're actually one of the most innovative industries in the world. And that's driven very much by the environments we work in. We have always had to work in extraordinarily remote, primitive uh, environments, and we've always had to invent uh, new ways of doing things and solve problems uh, quickly and effectively and safely. So we are truly an innovative industry and we should have some faith in that. Fantastic, thank you. And finally, Alex. So I've got to say, I, I echo Joseph's optimism. Uh, certainly the, the first industry that came to us and, and actually had a proper RFP around predictive maintenance and, and asset intelligence, that's, that's mining. Uh, and and that was years before we started to see that kind of thing in other industries. So I feel quite optimistic about it because of those reasons, because because there needs to be a uh, focus on remote work, safety, uh, and, and continuous availability, and a very clear and easy to demonstrate need of availability. You don't have any redundancy in, in these kinds of systems, typically, at least in the business process. If something stops, then, then you're not making money. You can't switch it to another line. There is no other line. So... I feel I feel pretty optimistic about this. I think there's a, there's a few problems to figure out, but the industry as a whole is is doing a pretty decent job of getting there. Fantastic. Always good to end on an optimistic note. I think so. Um, so yeah. So no. Thank you to all of our panelists today. It's been really interesting discussion. Uh, we will be including our true uh, sorry our connecting asset data at scale report in the show notes, so you can download that as well. But besides that. Thank you again to the panellists and yeah, see you next time. So that was our first panel discussion on the Trend Detection Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. If you're interested in downloading our report, Connecting Asset Data at Scale, which I mentioned during the recording, you'll find this link within the show notes. Please subscribe via your favorite podcast provider if you'd like to be notified about future episodes. And it would mean a lot if you could let us know your feedback by leaving us a review. You can find out more about how Sensei can reduce unplanned downtime and contribute towards improved sustainability within your manufacturing plants by visiting Sensei.io. Thanks a lot for listening.